Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. punditry today we're going to slam it into your ear holes with many different promotions here today it is me your managing editor of wrestling inc nick hausman back to host the uh, latest episode of the winkley and i am joined here as i am just about every tuesday by my very very ultra super good friend michael weisman michael welcome back to the winkley yes let's do it do it do it i feel it in your voice michael there's there's a real i mean look dude we're going to get into wrestle kingdom here which was awesome we're going to talk about all the wwe stuff I mean, the, the last five days of wrestling, it feels like a month. There was so much stuff that happened. Lana and Lashley still getting married. He's a big Do shooter. it. He's a big bad shooter. Yeah. 2006 is back. Yes. Love it. Well, before we get to the news of the day and an interview we've got here later today, uh, we want to start the show by sending our congratulations to Nikki Bella, who announced her engagement to her former Dancing with the Stars partner, Artem Chignivistavif, I'm sure I butchered his last name. They announced that on Friday, and uh, for those that are wondering, Hollywood Life is saying that John Cena is happy for the couple. He's got his own girlfriend right now. They're doing very well. Uh, everyone's moved on here. I, this, I'm going to guess, is going to be the centerpiece of uh, the next season of Total Bellas, I would hope at least, because we only saw Artem briefly in the last season of Total Bellas. Okay, but but Nikki Bella and John Cena are still going to end up together in the end, right, Nick? Well, I don't think so anymore, Michael. I mean, she's engaged. But He's moved that's on. That's the love story that I'm invested in. Like, I mean, look, if, if Lana and Lashley can get married, why can't Nikki Bella and John Cena? This was a big bit of drama on the last season of Total Bellas because Brie was very upfront about it. She's like, Nikki, people think that you cheated on John with Artem, and they're not going to be happy and receptive that you are now dating him. And now they're engaged. But John seems happy. Apparently, Nikki's a big part of his life. So, you know. I, I love guess. it. No, it's, it's you know, happiness. I, I love people to find somebody they're happy with. They can get married. John Cena seems like he's happy with his new beau. And, you know, The Rock got married recently, and he seems as happy as ever. So, yeah, I love love. There you go. Maybe they'll turn it into a storyline in WWE. John Cena comes back. Nikki manipulates him. Destroys him as a human being. I don't know. Just put, just put it another way. If you're going to bring John Cena back, I mean, what else would you do with him? <laughs> That's a good question. Why why put him in a high profile <laughs> bout when you could do some kind of a ridiculous love story where maybe he uh, pops out of a cake at some point? To well, uh, I mean, the last wedding segment popped in the ratings. Let's do it again, Nikki Artem. You guys want to get married on TV, and then John will crash it. Um. Okay. Well, we'll talk about the wedding here in a little bit. Uh, after the news, though, also here today we have a big interview to start the week off. Uh, this is my interview with MLW's Jordan Oliver. Now, Jordan is a member of Injustice in MLW. He's only 20 years old, and he kind of blew up the internet uh, over the, the past, I think it was last weekend it happened, uh, where him, uh, he was in a, uh, in a match. Uh, it was not an MLW. It was a GCW, but uh, he did. it was a very fast-paced 60-second series of moves that got called out by the likes of Jim Cornette and some other ECW folks. Is, this is dancing. This isn't wrestling. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does this resonate? Yes. Okay. Yes, that yeah. was okay. So you talked to Jordan Oliver. I talked to Jordan. I brought, okay. yeah, and 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 uh, it was interesting because I did it for MLW. Tried to keep as much on MLW as possible because they set up the interview for us. But it was really hard to ignore 
all of the buzz he had uh, with the other stuff going on as well. So it's a very interesting take from uh, one of the youngest guys in the business right now about that style and uh, and the criticism that gets for it and what he's doing in MLW. And, you know, I think that's worth bringing up again, um, especially those cor- comments by Cornette later on in the show when we get to Wrestle Kingdom, because there's an interesting contrast there, I feel like. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, good guest, Jordan Oliver. I want to thank him so much. This was a, a hard one to get, and I'm very happy with how it came out. So we'll get to that here in just a little bit. Let's get to it. News you can use. News that leave a bruise. Uh, we'll start off uh, last Wednesday's uh, homecoming edition of Dynamite on TNT, according to Showbuzz Daily, did 967,000 viewers, uh, while the special edition of NXT did 548,000 viewers. Uh, AEW was number 13 in the cable top 150. NXT was number 66. AEW ranked 40 in viewership overall, while NXT ranked 48. So that must mean I didn't. I don't know that I have the numbers for their uh, 18 to, to 45 demo here, but I would guess they did really well if they were 13th in, to, in the cable top 150, uh, only 40 in overall viewership, meaning that they were really bolstered by a younger demo there. Um, good news for Di- good news for Di- that was a good show. I'm glad that that many people got to see it. And uh, I am uh, I'm back on the hook for tomorrow night when we've had two weeks now. One show was, uh, you know, off and the other was on. They kind of did a round robin here. We're going to get back to the war tomorrow night. Yeah, I love this uh, this week's Dynamite. Um, it was it was a great kind of season premiere style show. They were resetting the rankings, which, you know, felt a little weird because it's not that old. But I get why they're going into a new year with a new set of rankings. You had some high profile matches that uh, Cody Rhodes, Darby Allen to open it up was a great hook for for the audience and i love that some teases with moxley for this week so all around a great product i'm glad to see them bounce back in the ratings of course they did not have the competition the more impressive thing to me here is you had 967,000 viewers for AEW, unopposed really but the nxt awards show still drew just over half a million for what really was kind of a week off for them and i also really dug the format of that show i mean i know it's kind of weird there was nobody there at full sale kind of cheering them on but it was an award show that WWE took more seriously than things like the Slammies in the past, where it's almost more for comedic effect and entertainment. So I, I really like that as well. But all around, I think a good night of ratings for AEW. And um, I hope this week we see an increase over a few weeks ago when they were both head to head again. Yeah, agreed. Uh, well, let's take a look here at what WWE did uh, in the past five days. We will get to Wrestle Kingdom here later in the show, uh, but we're going to we're going to rifle through all of the. Uh, uh, WWE news here at the top. Uh, SmackDown, there was a lot of returns this week in WWE. <laughs> a lot of returns. So we'll start with Sheamus returned on SmackDown. He helped save Shorty G uh, before laying out Shorty G. We also saw John Morrison return. He came out of Miz's locker room after Miz's match and said Miz wouldn't be taking interviews for that night. Uh, he, it's also been announced that Miz is going to appear on backstage tomorrow night, uh, possibly with Morrison. And, uh, and those were the returns, but also on SmackDown, Roman Reigns announced that he's entering the Royal Rumble. Oh, wait, there was a return. The Usos returned at the end of the night to save him from having dog food poured on him by King Corbin and Dolph Ziggler. What a great sentence. So Hmm. uh, three, really four big returns here because there's two Usos. But which return uh, did you enjoy the most? Which one are you looking forward to the most? Two returns because there are two Usos. I like that. So Seamus' return makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm happy to see Seamus back. I'm glad he's leaning into his heel mode. I, I think that's where he needs to be, kind of just taking people out and being the veteran. Um, who is kind of fighting with some of the younger talent on that show now. And and I would love to see Seamus maybe get another world title run and hand it off to a, a younger star at some point in 2020. I am most excited by John Morrison, though. I think it's weird the way they handled this, where he just kind of showed up and, um, yeah, I'm in the Mrs. Locker Room and then spiked the camera at the end. It seems like you would have saved that for the Royal Rumble. But for me, out of these, I mean, the Usos, we know what to expect from them generally. John Morrison is the exciting pick here because he's not been in WWE in years, and I think in that time he's accomplished a lot outside of the company. And pairing him with Miz, I think, is a really good move here. Uh, Miz is obviously going back to being heel now. Uh, I think Morrison is going to be great in that role with him. You know, they have a lot of familiarity together. And like Morrison's whole thing over when he was an impact was being like a dickish Hollywood elitist towards the end there. Mm-hmm. Like he was already kind of he was already kind of playing into the aesthetic with the Miz. So I think these two are going to be really well doing well, really well together. Uh, and I like the pairing of Roman Reigns and the Usos. You know, we we've seen it teased, but we've never seen like a real run with Reigns and the Usos. And they always look so cool when they're together. So I, I'm actually I was a real big fan of how all all three four of these guys uh, got brought back on SmackDown. I thought it was effective use for all three of them. Yeah, it's a weird show because otherwise there wasn't a whole lot of newsworthy stuff. So it seemed like they kind of crammed all the returns onto the show to kind of spike some interest around some other yeah. mediocre stories. But 
Um, the Roman Reigns and the Usos, you could have them feud with Baron Corbin and his stable on SmackDown. I would love to see them come out and take on the OC on Raw. I think that would be two big main event guys and kind of their tag team constituents behind them. That would be amazing here. And Morrison here, you mentioned him being a heel on Impact and late in his run. What I like about this, too, is The Miz, he's healed, but he's kind of still in that tweener stage. He's been playing babyface for a while, so he beat up Kofi, but he seemed almost, like, conflicted by it. So I like the fact that you could pair these guys up, and you could split them away pretty quickly, because I think Morrison, his his offensive moveset, the way he does high-flying moves, his look, I think the fans are going to gravitate more towards him as a babyface. And so Miz and Morrison, one-on-one at WrestleMania, would be a big high-profile match for both these guys. I don't know that I would say Miz is a tweener right now. I mean, he laid out Kofi Kingston in a very heelish, <laughs> dickish way and then kind of, like, taunted the fans afterwards. I, I think he's a heel now. I don't, mm. I don't think he's a tweener. I always hold out hope. He's a family man underneath it all, Nick. Come on. He's a family man. Bad man now. Uh, well, uh, that's what happened on SmackDown. A lot of returns. Uh, there was another return here, uh, a couple returns over on Raw. Uh, Brock Lesnar's uh, back in the fold now. Uh, it was announced on Raw, top of the show, that he is going to enter the Royal Rumble at number one. Uh, other hmm. names uh, announced for it, obviously Roman Reigns, uh, but Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre, Eric Rowan, Ricochet, Rey Mysterio, and AJ Styles. So what do you think about this, Michael? This decision to put Brock in first. What do they do? What's the logic here? They never clarified what happens if he wins, did they? Like, is he going to no. challenge for the universal title? No, they they did not clarify what happens if he wins. No, a lot of people are wondering the, the same thing. So but what do you think happens here? Well, I don't think he wins it, right? And I, I do like, if you go the kind of G1 climax route from from, wrestling, uh, from New Japan Pro Wrestling, where the, the champion does enter the tournament, and if he wins, he gets to pick his opponent. I dig that. I certainly hope they're not building towards a champion versus champion match at WrestleMania because we don't need that right now with the brand extension so new again. Um, so that's interesting. Also, Lesnar going in at number one. Why would you choose to go in number one if you had the choice? But it does seem like they're keeping their options open, which I can appreciate. And you can use the Rumble now to kind of set up multiple matches. And the Rumble is always better when there are more stories involved coming out of it than those years where they just kind of put all these guys in and they get eliminated. So I, I get the logic here. Uh, we don't get that Brock Lesnar title defense at the Rumble, which is disappointing. But um, I think if you use him to set up maybe a match with, uh, there have been rumors about McIntyre, and McIntyre has taken a liking to being a little more friendly to the fans lately. Maybe McIntyre eliminates Lesnar, and we set that up for Rumble. There's some cool stuff you can do there. Or if Lesnar were to win it all and he gets to pick his opponent for Mania, that's an interesting tactic as well. Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways you can go with this. Uh, well, I'll start with the first thing, which is like dual championship. I, I did kind of find it funny where it was like, were they just watching Wrestle Kingdom this weekend? <laughs> were they like, you know what, that's a good idea. That's a big, that's a way to really put some, uh, put a rocket on somebody. Um, I think that this, uh, I, I think that there's a way to do this where it's very simple. I think that McIntyre eliminating Brock, setting up a match, maybe for Mania, not a bad idea. Uh, I think that, yeah, Brock gets eliminated. Uh, I think that uh, whoever eliminates him, that would make a lot of sense for a WrestleMania opponent. The winner of that match then also uh, can go on to face uh, The Fiend. Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania, so you set up both your men's WrestleMania matches in one match, which I think is fine. Then you have the women's Rumble. And by the way, I think it's good, since we have two Rumbles now, this puts a twist on the men's Rumble, right? And so you're starting to see how these Rumbles are going to have different stories that can be told here now, right? Like you're going to have yes. Brock, you know, the man on his own trying to go through everybody, and then the, then the women's match, you know, it'll be more of a traditional Royal Rumble bout, it sounds like. But the women who wins the Rumble match, uh, she can go on to WrestleMania, and then that leaves... Uh, the other women's title where you could do your elimination chamber bout uh, to determine who would take on the other women's champion. And maybe that tag team elimination chamber bout. Maybe you don't need to do a men's elimination chamber bout this time if you establish both of your matches in the Rumble. Or we'll go the other route, the final route. There's so many paths here on this choose your own adventure. Uh, <laughs> if Brock were to win, rather than him choosing his own opponent, you could have an elimination chamber bout to decide to determine what uh, who would face Brock and Mania which would effectively uh, neuter 
the concept of the Royal Rumble in the process. But it's a possibility, you know? Yeah, well, that's the, the interesting thing here is there are so many possibilities, right? You mentioned this choose-your-own-adventure thing. This could go in so many different directions, and it's felt like in so many recent years that WWE has prescribed what WrestleMania is going to be, what its main event is going to be, all the way back in, like, September, October, right? They set it up at Survivor Series, and that's the path they stick to for the next four months. And this year, it feels so wide open, and I think that's interesting. Now, yes, there has been some mediocre storytelling across the products on Mondays and Fridays, so take that as you will. But the idea that I don't know and cannot confidently predict the WrestleMania card in January, even though it's early January, in January is an exciting thing as a pro wrestling fan. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, also on Monday Night Raw, I teased it at the top. He's back. The big show. It's a big <laughs> show. It's a big bad show tonight. Yeah. Uh, the Big Show returned on Raw. He tagged. Is that a Jim Johnson jam? That's a Jim Johnson jam, has, isn't it? It has to be. It's 20 years old. Big Show returned to Raw on Raw to tag with Samoa Joe and Kevin Owens against AOP and Seth Rollins. The six of them are going to take a. They're going to take a, a fist. They're going to compete in a fist fight, street fight next week on Raw. I guess because Big Show's got big fists, so they wanted to make that clear. Um, this was Show's first match since November 2018. He revealed afterwards in an interview on WWE.com that he had five hip surgeries in a year and a half to get ready for this return. Uh, overall, he looked pretty good. It's an interesting pairing. Him, Samoa, Joe, and Kevin Owens. I made the joke on Twitter. Maybe they should all have matching bowling shirts because they kind of <laughs> look like a bowling team, in my opinion. But uh, uh, how did it come across for you? What do you think of that big show coming back here and inserting himself in this, uh, this top storyline? I mean, I don't know if it came across that well for me. I, not that I got anything against the big show. He's a legend. He is a, an attraction. Vince McMahon has always seen him that way. Paul Heyman's always loved the dude, right? So I get why he was put in and brought back in this way. Also, he's got a big show on Netflix coming out soon. So I get why they'd want to use him. I never thought, though, that like Samoa Joe and Kevin Owens, like, oh, let's go find the big Samoa Joe, especially is like, hey, I'm BFS with this dude. Let's bring him back. Just doesn't strike me as quite authentic for his character. But it did make that main event feel even that much more high profile, and it gave you a hook throughout the show to be like, who is the third man? A lot of times it's paid off with something kind of lame, so a returning legend is a much bigger deal than if they had just stuck like uh, Ali, even though he's not that brand, but sure. somebody liked that into that spot. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I think you're right. I mean, it was unexpected. I, I think there was a pop, and then there was like a, ah, uh, kind of afterwards, because it yeah. was like, it's a big return, but you've seen Big Show return a whole bunch of times, right? Yes. Uh, with that said, yeah, I mean— He's fine in this role for all the reasons you listed. I see why they brought him back, and uh, I, uh, I just really like Seth Rollins and AOP together. They're just dicks, you know. Like I just, he's such a chicken shit heel. I really like him in this role. And I Seth Rollins is killing it, dude. He yeah. he comes out and cuts these promos that are so like deprecating to the audience, while at the same time being like, "I am the savior." That's exactly what he needs to be right now. And again, I use my wife as the gauge for like the casual fan reaction sometimes. And she's sitting there on the couch beside me. She's like, "God, I hate him." I'm like, "Yes, that it means it's working." Yeah. Uh, well, uh, somebody didn't see on Raw last night. Matt Hardy, uh, PWInsider.com. Oh no, wait. Before we get to Matt Hardy, one more thing from Raw. Uh, it looked like a fan tried to rush the ring during Raw last night, and some security like jumped on him. This happened like while AJ Styles was leaving the ring from his match. Um, it was just an extra who got spooked, uh, who was an extra who spooked security by stepping into the ring early. Raw announcer Vic Joseph explained that the the run in was actually the officiant for Lana and Lashley's wedding. This actor they hired, I guess he just he saw AJ was leaving. He's like, my segment is next. I'll go get into place. They were not ready for him, so the security mauled this man, if you go back and watch the video. Uh, the correspondents at the arena noted that the uh, actor Malone entered the ring early and expected, and so that's why they, they tackled him. Uh, unfortunate. Unfortunate. Mm. This, this dude is, number one, if you're a wrestling fan, never run into the arena because wrestlers will beat the. I was at a local event here in Winston. They beat the shit out of the dude as he tried to get in because that is an unsafe thing to do. So don't think you're going to be cool, right? Anyway. But yeah, this I love this dude who's been doing the officiating. I feel bad that he got clobbered last night. I sure. hope they gave him a little extra bonus check for all of his work. But he's really embraced this if you've seen him on Twitter. He's loved being a part of the storyline and getting out there. And I think he's been a... If you watch him in the moments where, like, Lana and Lashley are saying things and doing things, his reaction helps sell it for the fans. And that's that's a really important thing as an actor. So kudos to him. Yeah. Um, okay. So PW Insider here reporting about Matt Hardy. Uh, his current WWE contract expires on March 1st. He's going to be a free to appear to... Uh, he's going to be free to appear for any other promotion on that date. Uh, it was also reported that the major hurdle between the two sides on a new contract is not money, 
but how Matt is going to be used creatively moving forward. Now, regarding Jeff's future, his contract is not set to expire. At uh, His contract will not expire at the same time because his is being held up due to injuries and legal issues. Of course, Jeff was arrested in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, on July 13th for public intoxication and then was arrested on October 3rd uh, in Moore County. Uh, WWE officials reportedly are pushing Jeff to address his personal health in the wake of these recent arrests, and he has uh, apparently been working very hard at doing that. So uh, rough to hear about Jeff. I mean, I, I guess that's going to put him behind the eight ball for an extra almost a year, right? Yeah. That, yeah. So um, maybe closer to 2021. But for Matt, and we talked about this a little bit here on the show, but for Matt, there's a lot of opportunity out there. AEW obviously is a big one, but Impact Wrestling really uh, let him be him. And I think that if he were to go back there with the current creative people that are there, he would be very satisfied and happy if they can get the money together to secure him. So Impact Wrestling, I think, would be another good good spot for him as well. Yeah, and he, he would add a lot to that. I think they would benefit as well, right? So Matt obviously wants that creative freedom, but what brand is going to see him and bring him in and get a spike? I think AEW could bring him in, but I would use him more like AEW is kind of a freestyle creatively right now, it feels like. So having somebody like Hardy to connect the dots a bit more and tell the stories could be fun. But I also want to see Matt Hardy do more of the wild and wacky stuff. And impact is that playground. For right. Him. You've been watching the YouTube videos, right? He's been killing it. And I want to see that some more. Yeah. And I just, you know, with AEW, like the stuff that they've done in AEW that is more cartoony has not been well received, at least not at first, you know, by the fans. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not to say it's going to be the same thing with Matt because he's obviously very beloved and he's worked with the Hardys and everything like that. But, yeah, man, they're, they're moving in a more uh, sports-oriented direction. I get the vibe. I don't know if he's necessarily going to get the full freedom that he would at, like, an Impact Wrestling right now. So Exactly. Um, ba- Belfast Telegraph, they caught up with John Cena, uh, who teased a WrestleMania appearance. Uh, he said, I can't perform as much as the current ones because I'm a little bit older and I have these cool opportunities to do other stuff. But in doing other stuff, I'm not saying that world is shut off. I'm trying to bring this world with me. So we can all be involved in a movie conversation or a WrestleMania conversation. So this isn't about us losing John Cena. It's about John Cena taking us on his new ride as well. Well, that's nice of him. How convenient for a guy who said he was never going to leave. He's like, I didn't leave. I'm just bringing you guys with me, right? We're all leaving. Wait, no, Vince, that's not what I meant. (laughs) Does he ever, Nick, I have to ask you this. I've been wondering this myself. Does he ever break the record? Well, you know, that's the thing is I've seen the buzz about him possibly coming into the Rumble, right, for appearance. Maybe he's the one to eliminate Brock. You get Brock Cena with the 17th title run on the line at WrestleMania. I don't hate that. Yeah, could be a good hook. I mean, that's something I feel like they've never completed with John Cena. I mean, he left kind of very quietly, and they've never completed that arc of him breaking the record. And I think that's the one thing, if you have John Cena, you've got to do before he retires. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, and Paige, she fueled speculation recently about possibly uh, making an in-ring return. She tweeted out, uh, I get told that my glory days are over and my career or my glory days are over with my career and that I'm a slut because of the crap that got released about me. Just know, again, people make mistakes when they're young. I'm not that person. Also, my glory days are far from over. I don't necessarily read that because her mom and dad tweeted her supporting her, responding to this with her mom saying, I think you're going to have a talk show within the next few years. So I, I don't really take this as a page is getting back into the ring. She, you forget how uh, very uh, her, her neck is not good. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. And I think fans need to remember too, that pro wrestlers, we love them as pro wrestlers and that's a great spot for them to be in if they can do it and they're physically capable. But these guys are so much more. Many of these people are so much more than that. We've seen CM Punk go on to have a great career. Now, let's not talk about UFC, but all the other creative things he's done since leaving pro wrestling. Guys like Cena and, and The Rock and Batista and acting. And I think that we pigeonhole them into being pro wrestlers. But a career is not just me doing one thing my entire life. I, I might span 100 things, right? And career Paige, she still has a lot of that career ahead of her. She's still very young. Uh, and last bit of WWE-related news here, CM Punk revealed... Uh, on Twitter, an internal WrestleMania 30 booking sheet uh, that's dated January 20th, 2014, that says he or that reveals he was supposed to face Triple H at WrestleMania 30. Now, Punk's last appearance for WWE was on January 26th at the Royal Rumble, six days after this card was written down. 
So obviously that match then got scrapped because he walked out on the company. Uh, Hunter would go on to lose to Daniel Bryan, who then beat Orton and Batista for the title. A big moment, one of the biggest moments of the decade. The lineup also showed that Bryan was going to face Sheamus and that Reigns was going to face Ambrose for the U.S. title. Kane was originally going to face Big Show, but that match didn't happen as the Shield faced Kane and uh, the New Age Outlaws in uh, six-man action. Big Show participated in the inaugural Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, uh, which saw Cesaro last eliminate him to win that match. So just kind of a time capsule type moment here of a lot of things that didn't uh, necessarily come to fruition, but an interesting look at it, it, WWE's mindset going into that. Raises a lot more questions and answers for me, though, about Punk's relationship with Hunter um, that he so openly talked about how much he doesn't like this guy. It, it does sound like Hunter was at least giving Punk what he wanted, which was the Mania match, and Punk still walked out. Well, and, and he gave him a Mania match, but he gave him what I would not call the main event slot, which they had very clearly booked for for Orton and Batista still. Right, yeah. Right, so, uh, you know, Punk here, I'm glad he set the record straight because this has kind of been the rumor for so many years, which was Punk walked out because of Mania that year and he wasn't happy with where he was booked. And if you look at this card on paper, that seems like a very early 2000s, very by-the-numbers, safe WrestleMania card that does not excite me at all. And you look back on that WrestleMania and how special it was in retrospect. Yes, we have the Undertaker streak being broken, but that Daniel Bryan Triple H match to open the show and set up the story of Bryan capturing the championships is a true, it's one of the best moments of the last decade in WWE. So for everything that happened, um, Punk set the things in motion, right? We ended up with a much better story and a, what I think a moment that forever cemented Bryan as a true main eventer and legend. So, um, Interesting to look back, uh, but we ended up with a much better result uh, byproduct. That was the year that Batista won the Rumble, right? Yes, and Blutista. Blutista won the Rumble and was booed handedly, right? Oh, that's right. He was Bootista at that point. Yeah, that's he was, right. He was booed. booed. I think that Blutista debuted that night, though, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. Oh, man, it is crazy to think that Punk just completely removing himself from that equation, how much that changed and, and shuffled things around. So, Well, that was the year that we had Daniel Bryan and Bray Wyatt fighting when Daniel Bryan was in that weird, like he had actually joined the Wyatt family, right? And they, they're still playing off that story six years later. So anyway. All right. Uh, all right. Onward, ho. Let's get to Wrestle Kingdom 14. Two nights, 11 plus hours of action. I binged all of it yesterday as I had a very busy weekend of my own. You watched it all live. You did the post show uh, on Sunday morning, which uh, which went very well, you and Jesse. Um, mm -hmm. So we're not going to give a full review. And so when I was like, well, I'll write down the highlights and the title changes, and it's still like nine bullet points. So, like, <laughs> so let's get it. It's into like 10 it. hours of wrestling. It's a lot of stuff going on those two days. So let's let's real quickly hit the highlights here and get some quick, quick takes, Michaels. We're not here all day talking Wrestle Kingdom, but Naito... Big moment. He defeated Jay White on night one to become the IWGP Intercontinental Champion. He moved on to the next night where he took on Okada uh, and became the double champion. Uh, following his victory, he was laid out by Kinta uh, after his victory speech. Uh, I'm, you know, I kind of thought they were going to go with Ibushi here just because they've really been behind him and he made that big decision to stay with the company and all that. But uh, uh, the right man got the nod here. Naito has been building to a moment like this. Watching him and Okada in that ring, it felt like Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock. Just very, very well done, and I thought the Kenta attack was great. Just pro wrestling at its finest done here with uh, everybody involved. So so much went into this storytelling, right? And and you could just build up these guys all, all day long, but having them fight on two consecutive nights for the two biggest prizes in New Japan Pro Wrestling and championships that really do represent a lot in Japan, I'd say more so even sometimes than our, our WWE and Intercontinental titles do over here. So it felt really special. Um, Naito here coming off that, he almost did it two years ago, and could he be back there? You mentioned Ibushi. I think they're doing this thing with Ibushi right now where they've done it with Kenny Omega before, they did it with Naito, we're going to bring him up to the top and then bring him back. And then maybe next year or the year after he finally gets that crowning moment so close and he's going to fight his way back into it. But I love all of that behind it. But then just the match itself, Okada, he is the new Japan pro wrestling dude. Like he is their man. He's, he's going to have the Olympic torch later this year in Tokyo um, and take it with him. So anyway, all of that kind of adding to this meta story, but the magic in the ring between all of these bouts uh, in this main event slot over the two nights was incredible. And if you've not seen Naito and Okada, you got to go check it out. The storytelling, the way they built up to hitting the big moves. I mean, yes, Okada is known for having a slow match and then a big frenetic finish, right? 
and they deliver on the promise of that. Um, it, it was just a great, a really special wrestling moment. Yes. And, and you know, you brought up the, the two nights. What do you think? Two nights, good idea. Do you th- would you hope Mania moves to the similar format? I think it, I think it was great. It made these shows. Um, it, it gave you some variety. It gave more people a chance to be on the card. You talk about WrestleMania; they cram everything into one night, and it wears the fans out. And these were still four and a half, five hour shows if you include the pre-shows, so they didn't skimp on time. Yeah. But the two night format, but also the way they built the nights, multi man matches early on, and then the main events were the singles matches. It gave the fans kind of the right level of build. Also. The way they book their shows, uh, I mean, again, Okada has a slower style to begin all of his matches, and he pays it off. And a lot of the New Japan shows are like this, right? Slower in the front end, and you kind of have this crazy finish, and it does give the audience a chance to breathe. Now, the question for me is, if you're WWE, how do you do that effectively? Um, I, I think, you know, right now we have NXT on Saturday night and WWE on Sunday, so I don't know that I want to lose NXT, but I would love to see more NXT stars be a part of WrestleMania. And to me, if you do a two night format, all you do is you take those big NXT feuds and put them on WrestleMania. And now WrestleMania is a true super card. Unlike anything else in the year. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought, and I, I did like the, uh, the matches that led into the second night. Cause that wasn't just for that. There was, I think three matches that had like, cause you had a uh, Moxley juice the second night as well. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, uh, we'll get to that here in a second. Hiroki Goto, uh, he won the Never Openweight Championship uh, against Kenta. Of course, that opened the door then for Kenta to insert himself into the main event picture. Uh, and Goto's great. Uh, Evil Bushi and uh, Shingo T- uh, T- How do I spell it? say his last name? Takagi? Shingo yes. Takagi? I got it right. Won the Never Openweight six-man tag titles in the gauntlet match during the Night 2 pre-show. I oh, Man, I really like these gauntlet. They did this last year. I think they do it every year. Just it's a lot of fun, these, these yeah. gauntlet matches. Good opener. And it it ended uh, with the LIJ all holding gold to close the night. Lots of gold. So well, these are one of the things where the the main main titles in New Japan, the IWGP titles, are super important. Some of these lower title, lower card titles, multi man titles don't mean as much, but they still give you something on the card to do. Yeah, uh, Finn Juice they defeated the Gorillas of Destiny for the IWGP uh, Heavyweight uh, Tag Team Championships. Great match, man. David uh, Finley. It started to really look like a wrestler. Like it started Dude. to really look like a star. Absolutely, he is. He's he's looking great. I love this Finn Juice team. They've done some. I mean, Gorillas Gorillas of Destiny are awesome, and I want to see them stateside so bad. But Finn Juice, they've really done a lot. So this was a great crowning moment for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the thing is God's God, right? Like they can do anything. They held the titles for a full year. They would they put over uh, new competition. It was just good business all around. And Juice Robinson is like incredible right now as well so good 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 on everybody here show and yo they won the iwgp junior tag team championships against el Fantasmo and uh taiji ishimori i loved this match way more than i was expecting uh, i was watching with my buddy ej and he had never seen el Fantasmo, and by the end he was like a big fan that big uh he did that like moonsault back rake off the spur spring bar springboard moonsault back rake Yes. That was fantastic. That was maybe one of my favorite matches of bo- or moves of both nights. Well, and this is like the El Phantasma is a great example of this. One of the things I really like about R- Wrestle Kingdom or New Japan in general is they let these guys have like the pomp and circumstance with their entrances is really cool and creative. And they have masks. I mean, we talk about evil came out where like with a scythe and he was wearing a mask. They do all this really cool pomp and circumstance stuff. But when it comes to the wrestling, they're still wrestlers as opposed to WWE where everybody is a character, right? Bray Wyatt and The Fiend, they treat them like The Fiend is a real person who is actually invincible. And I like the fact that in New Japan, they're not like that. They're still ultimately wrestlers at the end of the day. They just have a little more pomp. The Undertaker would not actually be a dead man over there. He would just have a dead man entrance. And I appreciate that. It feels more real. Uh, John Moxley, he retained the IWGP United States Championship uh, in a match against Lance Archer. That was a brutal bout. And that was, I think, the best table spot I've ever seen in New Japan history. That, both... that double double arm DDT. <laughs> yeah, they the both, tables. both the tables actually broke. It was, like, great, you know? Um, and, and Lance Archer is, God, he's a talent. He is amazing. New Japan has done so much for him. This is not the same kind of match you'd see. It's, it's not Kenny Omega, John Moxley, not that level of barbed wire brutality, but for a New Japan match, it was incredibly brutal. Yeah. Uh, Takahashi defeated Will Ospreay to become the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion in what was probably the most gift match of the night as that insane uh, Sasuke, uh, Sasuke, Sasuke 
special. Oh my god, I'm butchering words today. So Suzuki special uh, sequence they did uh, on the outside with the uh, the German suplex and the counter and all that. Incredible. Uh, it looked incredible. And I guess uh, during that spot, PW Insiders reporting that Will Ospreay reportedly suffered an ankle injury or a possible broken heel. Uh, he tweeted out a photo afterwards with him icing his ankle and foot with the caption, sad pig. So it would seem that Ospreay may be injured here. But dude, just like go out there, steal the show, guys. Do your thing. It was great. I love this match. Yeah, man. I mean, Osprey, if you've not seen him compete very much, he is just a true talent in here. Takahashi uh, played so well off of him. And I've said this before. I, I said this the other night when we did the, the postgame show. Will Osprey, now maybe he's injured, right? But he seems poised to have a breakout year. He's had many breakout years, right? But kind of moving up the card. And the way they put him over on the announce team on Sunday, he seems like he's poised to really have a breakout year this year, maybe in the G1. Um, I would not be surprised if he does not make a run of it, and we see more of him in the main event picture in coming years. Yeah, and um, you uh, you had brought up at the top of the show, because we're going to play Jordan Oliver here in just a couple minutes, uh, how you thought that there was like some uh, double standards maybe in place, the way people reacted to that gif of him uh, and some of the stuff you saw at New Japan. I'm going to guess you were referencing this match. I actually would I'm I'm not gonna say I'm gonna side with Cornette on this, but I just wanna point out here, I think Cornette he comes up short not because because he's criticizing an entire style of wrestling. And I think if you go back and watch the the very controversial um uh, match that Cornette was picking fun of it, and it's an indie match, and these guys are both still kind of learning the ropes. They're not nearly as experienced. Um, Jordan Oliver is not Will Ospreay, right? Um, but it does feel a lot more choreographed. But you've got to go through that to see what we had on on Saturday between Osprey and Takahashi. Because Osprey and Takahashi, the reason that worked so well was because of the speed. It wasn't simply choreographed. They made it feel real and authentic because they were both moving. And it, it's, it's what New Japan does, right? Which is when somebody takes a move, they fall naturally, right? When somebody goes for a pin, they roll them up naturally. And even something like Osprey and Takahashi being very choreographed, they still are very fluid and make it feel natural. And so while Cornette likes to poke fun at somebody like Jordan Oliver, and who was he, who was that match against? Do you remember? Blake Mitchell. I mean, I Blake Mitchell, yes, yeah. yes. And 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 while that match, if you watch it, does feel much more choreographed than what we saw on Saturday. It's still the same kind of match. It's just guys still figuring out how to do it right. And so you give those guys a few years, and they will come up with more stuff like this match. So it's not an attack on that style of wrestling. It's when that style of wrestling is done right, like it was done at Wrestle Kingdom 14, it can be incredible. But it's got to have that that right kind of movement to it and natural feeling of flow. Uh, Jushin Thunder Liger retired two big matches bringing back his former tag teammates and best opponents and uh uh everybody that he really loved uh in one place for two matches uh takahashi got the final pinfall victory on the second show uh fuji i, I thought it was crazy that fujiwara was there i was like the guy yeah. i was like wait what the guy who invented the r bar that's him wild uh, and this was so special. Like these guys, they put over a legend. This, this Jushin Thunder Liger, he means a lot stateside because of his run in WCW. But this dude, he is a true legend. And I just loved the respect. He still put over guys, did business the right way in leaving, but they still made it feel really special. And it, it, I can't help but think about the way WWE did Kurt Angle earlier this year, where they put him down and it doesn't have to be a main event feud, right? Like I think people wanted to see Kurt Angle fighting for the title or whatever, right? That doesn't have to be that way. You can still have Corbin versus Angle. Liger here was in a multi-man match, but it's how you handle everything around that to make it feel special as opposed to Angle who kind of went out in a throwaway match. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, Baron Corbin mm, could grow and grow with time. There's a lot, of, a lot of years left in front of him. We'll see who that, that loss maybe was or win was maybe meaningful down the road. But yeah, didn't didn't feel on this level. This was a wonderful Well, summer. and the respect around it. I mean, I think, yeah, it could do wonders for Corbin, but these guys all came out and respected him, and I think yeah. that's the difference. And Takahashi was the right man to get the pinfall here. Um, I mean, he's, he's going to be having the style of bouts that Liger was known for for years to come. And so I yes. thought it was a nice passing of the torch moment there. And... Uh, yeah, I haven't watched New Year's uh, Dash yet, but I'm told everybody just cries. So I'm gonna be <laughs> I'm gonna be watching that tomorrow morning. Have you seen it yet? I've not. No, I'm gonna be watching it tomorrow morning. So I'll chat about that later in the week. But I just <laughs> I, hear, I, I hear everybody just everybody's a big ball of tears watching Liger in his retirement ceremony. Uh, and last but not least, Tanahashi did not beat Jericho 
so the forbidden door stays closed. He will not get his AEW world title shot. And afterwards, Chris Jericho in the post-match media scrums cut a promo about how New Japan and AEW need to work together and how much money they could be, more money they could be making. And he hopes that they all can repair the bridges or whatever that have been burned to make it happen. Uh, hmm. Now, uh, I, I, one of the Young Bucks did an interview um, yesterday. I, I got sent a clip. I, I wish I had uh, found the uh, the site, the source, but you can go find it for yourself. Um, saying that despite what Chris had said, there's still no plans for New Japan and AEW. Now, I, I'm of several minds here. One, I think they're genuine. I do think that there is some tension here between both sides, and there is no plan for everybody to work together. But at the same time, if they were going to work together they would they would be still saying the same stuff. So yes. it's tough for me to draw too many conclusions, but I do think it's interesting that Jericho is is pushing so hard for these two to work together right and now. And Moxley, they still have obviously intentions for him to work over there as well. And Jericho said, I expect to be back here next year at Wrestle Kingdom again. So that door is, I, th- I think, still wide open. Um, two other things. I just got to mention this. If, if you liked, um, number one, I, I got to call this match out. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Sonata. It is. It was short. I think it's only about 12 minutes, but it was that that catch style wrestling that Zack Sabre Jr. is known for. And it was what I would consider kind of the epitome of that. It was something very different than anything else over those two nights, something very different than what you would see in WWE. And I loved it. So I would encourage you to go out of your way to catch that match if you've not seen it, because Zack Sabre Jr. and Sonata just had amazing chemistry in there. I, I think that um, if you've not seen this whole card, Go watch it. It's on Fight. Our, our friends at Fight were, were nice enough to hook us up, yeah. um, hook up some fans with some promo codes. Right. And and that was a great broadcast. They did a great job. I, I had fewer issues, apparently, people watching it on um, New Japan World. So anyway, check it out. Uh, but also, kudos to my co-host Sunday. Jesse Collings came in here, and, and we did this live show. And he is such a fountain of knowledge. I mean, the dude knows feuds from four years ago that he has kept up with. And so um, if you enjoyed the show, please check us out uh, or download the podcast and, and give us a shout out there because Jesse put a lot of work into it and it really does. I, I just loved talking about the show for a few hours. Yeah. And I, I didn't call out, uh, I didn't mention the uh, confrontation between Suzuki and John Moxley, uh, which was very, very buzzy. And it took me back. I'll tell a story here real quick before we're going to do the uh, wrestling Inc. 2019 awards. Uh, at WrestleMania weekend last year, uh, I went to Bloodsport, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport, and uh, Moxley was there. And I wound up uh, standing next to Moxley uh, up in the balcony uh, watching uh, Suzuki and Josh Barnett uh, grapple. And uh, I was explicitly told uh, by those I was there with not to ask Moxley about his contract at the time, which was a very, very buzzy topic, if you remember. Um, so I, I, you know, he was very friendly and everything, but I did ask him, I was like, what, what brought you here today? You know, uh, you friends with people. And he, all he really said to me is he looked at me and just said, uh, I really like Suzuki. And at the time I remember, and I brought it up on some other podcasts, I was like, oh, well, what can we draw from that statement? The one statement I got from John Moxley, it is wild to me flash forward here nine months later to see him now getting what I think was something he really wanted was maybe probably one of the big reasons he went to New Japan, which is this feud with Suzuki. And it was just kind of wild for me watching that play out on such a big stage, having been in a room with like 300 sweaty fans watching Bloodsport with Josh Barnett and Suzuki. Um, just a cool moment, you know? But yeah, it, it was it was an awesome moment. It's cool that there was some like history there for Moxley as well. And I think these guys get into the sport because they are fans of other dudes and because, you know, they want to fight other dudes that they are fans of. And so I think it's really cool to see that come full circle. That was the buzziest. I mean, we talk about the Kenta attack at the end of the night, but I really think that that appearance and that setup was the buzziest thing coming out of this weekend. Uh, so Wrestling Inc.'s 2019 year-end awards. Let's look back at 2019. Our great friend Joshua Gagnon, our social media director, uh, ran the awards this year. We encouraged you all to vote. Uh, you came out in droves, so thank you very much for casting your votes. Uh, with 39%, the male wrestler of the year, you picked AEW's Chris Jericho. For female wrestler of the year with 48%, WWE's Becky Lynch. Tag team of the year with 50%, the most vote-getting of any of the winners, NXT's The Undisputed Era, uh, the Cruiserweight X Division Star of the Year with 32%, Buddy Murphy, uh, but it was noted that Will Ospreay only lost this by one vote. Uh, Breakout Star of the Year, NXT's Rhea Ripley with 35%, Match of the Year, uh, Adam Cole Gargano from NXT TakeOver 25 with 36%, and the Event of the Year with 35%, AEW's 
double or nothing. Do you agree? Disagree? I was, uh, Buddy Murphy's great, but, you know, look, Will Ospreay's Will Ospreay. I, you know, that's the only one where I was like, and it, it obviously was a hair split on that, you know? The match with Aleister Black, I think, obviously put that one over the top. I had, to be fair, that was the, was it the last match? It was the last match of um, 2019, so I guess we'll allow it. No, this is, uh, I don't, no disagreement here with any of this stuff. I think um, I love Rhea Ripley getting the nod here. Adam Cole uh, Gargano was very impressive. Um, Chris Jericho's done a lot for the business. I don't know what you, I mean, a lot of outlets gave him male wrestler of the year. I think most influential wrestler of the year, maybe, but there were a lot of guys who put in a lot of hours last year wrestling and, and doing some phenomenal things. So, but you, but you know, again, this is the popular people's vote. So I'm glad to see that WWE, AEW and NXT kind of all getting the nod throughout these awards. My guest at this time can be seen every Saturday night on BN Sports as part of Injustice on MLW Fusion. He's going to be in tag team action at Zero Hour in Dallas on January 11th. It is Jordan Oliver. Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. No problem. Big uh, dog. Yeah. Now, Jordan, uh, I've had the chance to see you here. I've been to the MLW shows in Chicago in person for a while now. And uh, this past weekend, you really became a buzzy topic on social media. And we can get to that all here in just a little bit but uh but for but for the fans that maybe don't know you they kind of just barely have heard about you how would you describe yourself to a new fan out there Oof, uh i don't know just reckless i guess very reckless wild <laughs> i don't know that's a hard one yeah well i think i think the the best way to describe me as like a, a wrestler is like uh, something you'd see from the independence in like 2003, 2004, and 2005. Okay, cool. And like you're super young, right? You're only like 20 years old. Am I, am I right? Yeah, I'm only 20. I just turned 20 in June. Damn. So like, so you had to have started pro wrestling then while you were still in high school. Did I get that right as well? Yes, I started wrestling when I was 15. <laughs> now... I know a lot of trainers that wouldn't even accept somebody if they were 15 years old. How how was it for you breaking in? What was it like getting to become a pro wrestler at 15? So I actually uh, broke in the business like uh, like Joey Janela at 15, and I just uh, weaseled my way onto a few shows, and then I got trained after that. Hmm. So so how were you able to get booked on shows if you were not trained? What was that like? Um, I just, one of these wrestlers that I, I happened to like backyard wrestle with at the time okay. was like, Oh, this kid's pretty good. And, uh, that just got, I wrestled, like maybe I wrestled one match against, uh, like sunny kiss and like a bunch of other people. Oh, cool. And then I wrestled Coco beware in my second match. What? And then I got trained after that. Yeah. You wrestled WWE hall of famer Coco beware before you even had officially been trained in pro wrestling. Yes, one hundred percent. How was how was working with Coco, having no idea what's going on? Well, I'm I don't know I I don't like to be like oh I'm a natural, but like I feel like I'm a lot I'm pretty natural in in pro wrestling, like and natural enough to where no one knew that I wasn't trained or anything like that. So it was, I mean, it definitely wasn't the the greatest match, but uh, we got through it, and he really enjoyed it. So okay, all right, well, cool. So who who did it was definitely super scary. <laughs> man no training here's your second match you're gonna wrestle wwe hall of famer coco beware um so who did yeah. who, who picked you up then after that and was like we got to get you in here and polish you up a little bit so it was uh the coco beware match was me and this guy named tj blade versus a guy named jersey kid and coco beware and after the match jersey kid was just like oh like you're how long have you been wrestling and asked me a bunch of questions and stuff um, and he had like, I don't know, he'd been to Mexico a few times and like, he's just like a, you know, like a Jersey guy that's done a few things. Okay. So I, uh, I actually moved in with him for a year and he took me to all these schools like CZW and, and like a bunch of schools in the New York city area and stuff like that. And he just kind of took me under his wing for a year and really taught me how the business works properly. Damn. So like, what was, what was your upbringing like? I mean, I see you in the ring and you look like you, you look like a gang member, right? Like what, what is your history? <laughs> yeah. What is your history here? How much of what I see in MLW is like who you are as a person? Uh, it's pretty much, I mean, I don't really have like a wrestling character. I'm pretty much just what I am is what you see. Like I grew up in Newburgh, New York, the murder capital of, of New York. And oh my 
you know, mostly just hung out on the streets and backyard wrestled and did a bunch of hood rat stuff. <laughs> I got, you know, getting into a lot of trouble, smoking on the bus, drinking on the bus, and a bunch of stuff like that, you know, really stuff that you shouldn't be doing in like sixth grade and fifth grade. But my parents really didn't uh, like have a lot of time for me because my sister was having like a, she had a kid at 16. So they really couldn't pay attention to me a lot. So I was just kind of raising myself a little bit. Wow. And I mean, so now that pro wrestling is in your life, do you feel like it's given you a little bit more focus? That kind of seems like you were off the rails there from an early age. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I always wanted to be a, a pro wrestler. And as soon as I started wrestling, obviously I really battened down. Before I started pro wrestling, I, I amateur wrestled and I boxed. Hmm. I always really liked physical stuff. But like, uh, I think what really helped me batten down and get my stuff together is my grandfather. He really helped me. You know, like he really raised me like a second father. Um, cool. Well, well, let's flash forward here. Now you're in MLW. Uh, how did you originally get the attention of court and, and MLW management? So I uh, I wrestled for Combat Zone Wrestling, and I wrestled. I don't know. You know Andrew Everett? I'm, no, I'm yes. I'm very. He thinks he's Andre the Giant, right, or something like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's his. That's his thing. Got it. Uh, we had a match for the CZW Wire title, and he did a shooting star press. Uh, onto one of my stable mates, Ellis Taylor, while he was doing the shooting star press, I springboarded to the top of the rope across the ring and caught him in an RKO oh, midair. Okay. And that blew up a little bit. Yeah. Because it's super crazy. And Court emailed me from there. <laughs> now, because you you got caught up, we can touch on this a bit here right now. You got caught up in like a, a gif a gif like cycle here over the weekend. How important do you think it is uh, to be able to put together matches with the the idea in mind, like? I'm trying to get this like one thing that it's only going to take five seconds, but this is the thing that could go viral from that from that match. Do, do you feel like you incorporate that into your matches when you put them together now? Uh, sometimes I 100% think, oh, let's do this. It'll get a lot of attention. But when I uh, when I thought of this this run spot, this this 60 second spot, I I really wasn't thinking like, oh, this is going to blow up or anything. I was thinking, oh, I love will osprey it's my favorite wrestler i love all the, i want to be in the super juniors i i love run spots i love fast wrestling yeah this will be cool let's just do it you know i i, I do remember saying to to blake before we went out i'm like oh i think this might blow us up a little bit <laughs> and then it happened and it, it did but it didn't i didn't really expect it to get like it's at right now like 350k views like in you know yeah yeah i mean and you got you know and then like that's the thing is your particular style like you say you're a fast wrestler, right? Those are the kind of wrestlers you like. You, you're kind of now at the center of this whole like heated social media debate about you know what is pro wrestling, right? I mean, what, yeah. What, what do you, what do you make of a conversation like that that you started with your style? I don't, I don't really understand the the issue with it. To be honest, I, I, I think you know this argument's been going on since Will Ospreay and Ricochet went in the ring. Did double handspring backflip, and the issue then was, oh, this is a wrestling; it's too choreographed. It's the same issue people are having right now with me and Blake. And I just think, you know, there's been guys have been doing this for years: Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, yeah, Jerry Lynn, and RVD. This, this isn't a new thing to wrestling. I think people are just every time they see something that's a little different. Like we, maybe those spots are usually ten seconds long, and we did it for sixty seconds. I don't, I don't really understand the debate, really. And all these people, they're saying, like, oh, Jordan Oliver's a spot monkey. I, mean, I wrestled David Starr for 40 minutes, and we didn't talk about anything in the back. Hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's more of a misconsumption. Like, people don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting with MLW because, uh, you know, MLW has so many different styles, right? It really does seem to be a place where a lot of different kinds of styles are being showcased. How is it getting to work with Court and MLW? Uh, how's, how's your time been there so far? Oh, it's been so awesome. I, I, for me at first, it, it was a little hard to adapt because of the, the style that I wrestle. And I wanted to, everywhere I go, I don't want to just be the, the high flyer. I don't want to be that, you know, I want to be a main event wrestler. So I would always sit down with guys like Jim Cornette and like low key and ask them what I could be doing better. And, and I really think within the last few months that I've really started to come into my own and figuring out how to wrestle a, a TV style. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate this time that I've had so far, especially being so young. It's it's kind of insane that I'm only 20 and 
you know, sign an MLW and travel in the world every weekend. Yeah. Any idea? I mean, we'll get, I got another wrestling related question. College, is that in your cards at all or no? You're, you're off into the race. No. Okay. No, I, uh, I barely graduated high school. So I would, I don't think I would even, I hated school, school. So. Okay. Fair enough. Well, and, you know, that's the thing is you talk about the other guys you worked with, Loki Cornette. You know, the people that are there right now, who have you enjoyed most working with and learning about the business of, of pro wrestling from? Uh, pr- Probably Loki. I grew up loving Loki. You know, it's, again, that's the style of wrestling that I really love. I love the, the junior race style, and Loki is a, a, a junior heavyweight legend. You know, yeah. he's done everything that I wanted to do. So I really love listening to Loki talk about the business and how he perceives it because the way he perceives wrestling to be is, is so different from anybody else. He takes it from such a, a realism, you know, that I feel like it's really lost in the sport nowadays. It's so weird to hear you making that point, Jordan, considering all the things I've I heard. Know, huh? Considering all the things I've heard about you negatively on social media, I'm shocked to hear you talking ring psychology and reality with me in this moment. I know. I, I don't think people, I, I really don't think they understand what they're talking about when they say a spot like that doesn't have any psychology because if you watch it and if you know the you know if you know me as a wrestler and you know Blake as a wrestler then you'd understand that we know each other for really well. I've been watching Blake for four years. Yeah, uh, I do these moves. He does those moves. It's not very hard to understand, but I think people just love to to bash their. Oh, this is what wrestling needs to be. You guys didn't even lock up. Blah 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 blah. And it's it's bullshit. I really think they don't. You know, everything's not for everybody. ECW wasn't for everybody back in the day, and for all these ECW legends sitting on it i really think they don't i really think they lost touch with the business yeah and you know with with court and mlw management you know obviously they're seeing everything as well i mean do they ever i mean what what changes have they asked you to make to your style if any uh to to you know adapt to mlw fusion and tv so i haven't really gotten any feedback on my style because for mlw i i really do more character stuff than anything because i you know i'm i know i'm only 20 but i think i have a pretty good understanding of like I shouldn't be, I'm not wrestling on MLW to do these, these spots. I'm more there to, to get the heat that I get. I'm a, I'm a heat magnet, you know? So yeah. I really haven't had much of like core Bauer telling me, ah, maybe slow it down a little bit or whatever. Cause I haven't really had the opportunity to do that there. Yeah. Uh, and, and talk, you know, that's the thing is I really do like you, uh, Myron, Kodo, uh, Injustice. You guys are such a great stable and MLW just is so rich with great stables. I feel like on top of that, but talk to me about injustice. Like what, what is the story with injustice? What do you, what do you guys feel that there has been injustice committed against you about? I mean, it's literally just, just what I just said right now. I don't feel like we've been given the opportunity to showcase our true talents. Like, like I'm so, I was surprised when I got the text to, to do this interview. I've been getting asked to do interviews all week and I've been, I've been, you know, uh, nah, no, nah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. But, MLW hit me up and was like, oh, we want to do an interview. So I wasn't going to turn this one down because <laughs> there's no way that, you know, they finally give me the ball to do something. I have to have to show them that I can run with it. I really don't, I really don't understand why they don't, you know, what the, what they don't like about us, but huh. well, it is what it is, I guess. I'll just keep going out there and keep creating buzz for myself. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what's, that's what's interesting. Cause like you, you're, you're a heat magnet. Like I say, I watched, I've been catching up on MLW and you guys started off the opera cup by storming the ring and taking over there. Um, you know, who, who have you worked with on your promos and stuff like that? I mean, who are some of your influences, I guess, when it comes to the way you carry yourself, uh, as a, as a performer? Uh, probably like Nick Gage and like Teddy Hart. Those I think are the two best promos okay. of, uh, of the current decade. Oh man, Nick Gage, that's a good one. I do see definitely see everything the Nick... they say just seems so genuine, and like I never want to come off as as fake. You know, I want everything that I say to, to be perceived as real because honestly, everything that I say in that ring is is pretty real. It's from the heart. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We're talking right now. I, I said in a in a promo a few weeks ago without any without any uh you know oh court should I be able to say any of that stuff? I never asked court if I can say stuff because I really don't care. Like. Right now, I'm talking about, like, Coda Brazil. We don't want that to be his name no more. We want Snoop back. Like, that Coda Brazil name's garbage. That's his slave name. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, I really don't ask court for, oh, what should I say or nothing. Everything that I say is for me, and I, I learned that from people like Nick and Teddy. They just say what they want. You caught me off guard because you dropped an F-bomb on TV. I mean, you know, it, it was very it was very jarring to me to hear that. I was like, damn, MLW is doing some things here with this guy. Yeah. 
Well, you talk about you talk about how Kodo doesn't like the Kodo Brazil name, or you guys don't like the Kodo Brazil name. Uh, you guys were actually mixing it up with somebody else who recently used a lot of the same verbiage. Uh, ACH, you guys had a tag match with uh, him and King Mo on, on Fusion. What was it like working with ACH? Uh, just having him there. Uh, yeah. It was again. It was. It was. I'm not gonna say it wasn't cool because ACH is another guy that's done everything that I want to do in the business. But I really feel like he's got his priorities mixed up right now with, with the way he's viewing some stuff. I I think that he should have, uh, you know, he should have sat us in the back and and talked to us a little more politely, because injustice. I really feel like injustice would fit him perfectly, but he just wasn't. He didn't want to hear it. So. And he just so he just kind of kept himself. He didn't really get to to mix it up with him too much in the back and pick his brain or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, it really wasn't. Uh, he really wasn't trying to hear the the movement of injustice. Hmm. Weird. Uh, well, you uh, you guys also got to mix it up there with King Mo. He seems to be testing the waters here in MLW. Uh, Bikini noted on commentary that he may be looking to go after Reed in the MLW Middleweight Championship. Uh, what do you think of King Mo and his addition to MLW? I mean, I definitely think it's a it's cool. You know, King Mo he wrestled in in Impact and and he's a he's a big MMA guy. But like, how long until they're just like, oh, King Mo, I'm sorry, we don't have anything for you. Yeah. How long until they realize that he's not a he's not a wrestler? He's he's an MMA guy. Like, this is the same issue people have with WWE right now with a Brock Lesnar guy, where they're just, oh, look, he's tough, he's Brock Lesnar, but how long is he going to be there for? How how long until King Mo's gotten his fix of wrestling? How long is he going to keep wrestling for? Is he is he going to do that one match and then not come back for six months? Like. It's really, uh, to me, and I know some of the other talent, it's, it's really mind-boggling why they would even go after somebody that's not, not a wrestler. Yeah, well, and you, got, you have a big match here at Zero Hour with some great wrestlers. Uh, you, uh, you, you uh, well, Snoop, I guess I'll say, to get it right here. You're going to yeah. take on Daga and Puma King versus El Hijo de la Park, uh, L.A. Park and, and Taurus here at Zero Hour. What, what can fans expect from this bout? What are you expecting from this bout? Uh, I'm definitely, I definitely think the fans can expect some, some high flying, some stuff that's going to get some old white people mad, <laughs> some really fast paced action. I, I, I'm pretty excited because I love the, the Lucha style and we've been able to mix it up with a lot of Lucha so far, but you know, we got guys like Drago and then, and that's really cool to me, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to smack him in the face and spit in his bag or something. Huh. Or, or or pee in his bag, I think, is something else you you said you would do to people. Yeah, maybe I'll put out a cigarette in his bag or something. <laughs> it's gross. First of all, cigarettes are gross. Second of all, that's gross. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really smoke cigarettes, but I can't talk about it. Okay, good. Um, well, uh, you know, you guys are heading to Dallas here. Now, first of all, you know, like I said, Meyer Reed, he holds the MLW Middleweight Championship. How are you feeling? Are you, are you trying to orient yourself more in a tag direction in 2020? Or are you looking to go after some singles gold of your own? Uh, I mean, I would love to to go after some singles gold. But the way MLW is treating me and Snoop and Meyer, and it's really whatever we can get at this point, you know. If if me and Snoop got to take some tag belts and we got to slap some people in the faces, and we got to show court, look, we really are the, the best in the company to get some singles action, then, then I guess that's what we're going to have to do. I mean, primarily, I know both me and Snoop and Myron are all singles wrestlers, but the reason we even came together is, is so we can get opportunities because not gonna, they're not going to give us opportunities by being singles competitors. They, they wanted to tell us, oh, not everybody can be a singles wrestler. Not everyone can be a standout, which is, is kind of baloney when you, you, know, you sign me as a 20-year-old prospect from Newburgh, New York. You don't want to push me as a singles guy it's okay with me i'll i'll just keep going out there and killing it so yeah well and uh, there's another there's a well one question i wanted to ask you was you know you have the heart dynasty there or the, the new heart foundation uh you have the von erics there there seems to be a lot of second there a wave of second generation talent do you feel mlw maybe gives priority to second third generation talent as opposed to fresh talent like yourself i think mlw is priority to whoever comes in and shakes all the veterans hands and whoever sits there and listens to what they have to say, because I mean, to be to be frank, me, Myron, and Koto, we don't we don't give a, a fuck. Like, I mean, I said it on Twitter all 2020. It's fuck the vet. I'm not shaking no hands. I'm not listening. I'm not listening and picking no brains. I know what I'm doing is right. I know that my brain is ahead of this generation. I know in 20 years down the road, people are going to be talking about Jordan Oliver like they talk about Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask. Um. Yeah, uh, well, and uh, I brought up the Von Erickson. What I was going to ask you about was, 
you know, how do you feel heading into Dallas, which is Von Eric country? Does it feel any different to you to have them around or be in their backyard of that, considering all the history that surrounds Dallas and the Von Eriks? I mean, I don't, I don't really feel any sort of, any sort of thing like that. I mean, every, every state I'm in, every country I'm in, as long as there's a wrestling ring, it's, it's my home. You know what I'm saying? Like I have, I haven't had a stable home in four years. So the ring is my only stable home. It's the only place that I really feel comfortable with. So uh, the only thing I could say about Texas is that it's not really, you know, I don't really like country music, so it's not really the best place for me to be. Fair enough. Uh, Well, I'm really looking forward to it. MLW Zero Hour, January 11th. Uh, Jordan, I want to thank you for the time. Is there anything you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the interview today? Uh, Just my social medias. You can catch me at the Jordan Oliver on all social medias. Go retweet the spot. Get Cornet mad, you know whatever thank you michael for joining me at the top of the show to talk the news today and thank you all so much for tuning in we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the winkley oh and thank you jordan oliver for yeah thanks jordan you were great uh i really really enjoyed that interview and uh uh we'll be back with more uh content tomorrow on the show another big interview i'm going to be releasing my interview uh with impact wrestling world champion sammy callahan uh will be here he's surly uh disgruntled uh, it's great. It's a very pleasant conversation I have with uh, Sammy Callahan. Uh, and, of course, this uh, Sunday night, Sammy's going to defend that Impact Wrestling World Championship against Tessa Blanchard in the main event of Impact Wrestling's Hard to Kill. We will have coverage of that on the site this weekend as well, so come back for that. And if you like this show, you like all our shows, go over to the Wrestling Inc. audio channel over on iTunes. Five-star ratings, nice comments. Always appreciated. Uh, Michael, what do you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap up the show today? A couple quick things, as always. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at the Real Wiseman. Would appreciate that. But um, yeah, check out our, our uh, wrestling Wrestle Kingdom Wrestling Inc. post game show from Sunday, please. Um, it is on the YouTube channel on the podcast, especially if you were into that show. Um, and, and again, props to my co-host there, Jesse Collins. Um, and then Friday night, I'll be back doing Twitter for Wrestling Inc. and uh, the post game show with um, Glenn and Matt Morgan. So um, yeah, keep an eye right here. Keep an eye. Keep an ear out. Keep all your senses alert. <laughs> For pro wrestling. Uh, I'm at Wink Rebel, W-I-N-C Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you again so much for tuning in. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.